This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I am Giles Paley Phillips and with me, but not with me, is Jim Daly. With, I think, as I said on a previous podcast, with you in spirit. Yes, and visually with And visually, me. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Which actually is something we talk about on this week's pod with our fantastic straight guest. In. You know me, I like to just get straight to the point. Um, Carrie Hope yeah. Fletcher, who was who we've just spoken to and was absolutely wonderful. But we, we do talk about this, the medium of vision, you know, and the fact that actually when we do these podcasts over Zoom and, and the context of the pod is talking about sort of Instagram and sort of trolling mm. and stuff on Instagram versus Twitter. But actually when you see someone, you know, you can see each other. I think it gives you more of a connection and I hope that's the same for our guests on our podcast, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think... I think it was good because I think we started doing a couple via a different way, which was just audio, and it just didn't have the same yeah. feel. I think it's really important to be able to see each yeah. other. Um, also, it means you don't interrupt each other as much, although that's not so true in this podcast because you and I keep we have a, We're each so other. on the same wavelength that we keep asking questions at the exact same time. Also, I've, um, a few people have said that we sound quite alike. They don't ever know how to differentiate really? us. Really? I'm offended, sir. Um, no, I feel like we sound... Well, we've both got southern home count, almost home counties yeah. accents, so we don't have you know regional accents. But but you have a more south coast, you have a more south coast accent, whereas I have a more home counties accent. I think. Yeah, I I, 
I do tend to drop my T's if I'm not paying attention. <laughs> That's quite a Sussex thing, I think. I do that as well, but then I grew like, up in... Like little. Yeah, I do that. Little. My mum tells me off for that, but mm. I, do, I grew up in Kent, so maybe it's not too mm. far from Sussex, is it? So maybe... Yeah, 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 same same sort of region, so yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, before we do our podcast, I've got a um, nice tweet okay. here from Waggers66. Hello, Waggers. Ian Waghorn. Is he, I, he's a Palace. He's a sorry, go on, Jim. Is he? Well, he's a good he, man. He's a Palace man. Top man. Good, good work, Ian. Um, I'm gradually consuming previous episodes of Blank Pod because I don't want to eat all the sweets at the start of the journey. How lovely was Izzy City singing at the end of the, her podcast? Oh, yes, we yeah. did manage to get a bit of Izzy and her, her band um, at the end of that, um, that episode. The conversations are so interesting and real. Lots of positive stuff. Thanks, lads. Thanks, Waggers. Yeah, that was a great. That's a lovely message. Thank you so much. That was a great episode. I, um, and everyone really should go and follow Izzy on Twitter because every day she does her sooty sweet. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, which good. is, <laughs> which is her broom, <laughs> putting the broom round her house and all the debris left by her kids. <laughs> it's fantastically funny. Every day there's sweet corn. <laughs> sweet corn gets everywhere, doesn't it? Uh, and I've got an iTunes review here, a five-star iTunes review, I should say, from Harry Housen, who says, like having an afternoon coffee and chat. I love the easygoing feel of this podcast and the fairly unstructured format. It's basically a relaxed chat with a guest, often about their career history or trajectory, but often spirals off into random little stories. You will often learn things about your guest you never thought you would. Great for listening while cooking, I find, says Harry. Oh, that's nice. Ah, that is nice. Lovely. I like to think that we're accompanying people while cooking. I've been doing a lot of cooking recently. Yeah, yeah it's been one of my lockdown you're, you're things. You're a big fan of cooking, though. That's, that's one of your things, isn't it? Yeah, I like it a lot. And actually, I've been sharing a few recipes with one of our past guests. Oh yeah, Gar- Gary Lineker. Oh, really? Yeah. Amazing. Um, I've been posting. I've been sending Gary pictures of um, barbecues I've done, <laughs> whether he wants them or not, <laughs> and. Um, and I did a um, aromatic Peking duck Ooh. the other night, which we had with um, like pancakes, you know, you have with hoisin sauce yeah. and stuff. So I did that. I sent that to Gary. And he sent me a very nice picture of a pork belly that he'd, he'd cooked at the weekend. So, yeah. Food friends. But, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so cooking has been a really good distraction. Well, actually. if anyone else... Uh, listens to us while cooking then let us know our email address is yes. blankpodcast2018 at gmail.com or we're on yes, so- all social platforms at blankpod I'd love to hear that yeah I'd like to see some pictures that's what I'm into yeah. so um, and you've got to I only buy cookery books with pictures in <laughs> yeah I think I would do as well yeah um, so yeah because it's nice to see the pictures so yes if you have cooked a Sunday roast or even just a, an evening pasta yeah um, listening, listening to the and why don't you tell us cast? what? Send us a photo. Tell us what you've cooked and mm. who you've listened to. Which episode? Yes, is, I want, and we'll try it's and read like it a dinner, out. Dinner guest game, isn't it? Yes, and we read it out, and actually, we're maybe creating a new podcast. Maybe here. we can get our guests back on and cook. With, I'd be like, be too much like table table manners, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, yeah, there's loads of podcasts that do it. Just for Scoo does one. Oh, yeah. oh, actually, that's a good podcast. Um. Right, let's crack on with our guest this week. <laughs> Just like Harry said, we go off on little tangents, that's what we do. Um, yes. But we've got the wonderfully talented Carrie Hope Fletcher, who joined us on the Blank Podcast. 
I've never owned a pair of distress jeans, actually, I have to say. No, I haven't either. I never really go for jeans. No, aren't you? You're not a jeans person. No, not really. Je- not unless they're elasticated. <laughs> I love how we have, a, we, have, we have all the deep chats on this podcast. Are you a jeans person? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Straight in. Um, I am a jeans person. Jim, I, I was, know you I are. I was pre-lockdown. Now I'm very much a sweats person. Are you? Mm. Big time. Uh, Big time. Yeah. Comfort over, over style for me. Absolutely. My children have definitely... It's all like tracksuit top and bottoms. Yeah. Neither of them are into any sports. <laughs> just a sport um, aesthetic. But they just love yeah. love comfort clothing, I think. I don't know if I've even... I have got a pair of tracksuit bottoms. but Embrace I've the tracksuit, mate. Embrace the sweats. Yeah. You got it right now. Yeah, I think you got it big time. Carrie, how are you anyway? Yeah, good, fine, plodding along, you know, as everyone is, just trying to get through this very, very weird time. I feel like I've also said weird time maybe about 40 million times during <laughs> lockdown. This strange, unprecedented time. That's that's the sentence that it's everyone It's the goes unprecedented, for. I think, has become yeah. like the go-to word, isn't it? Because it makes yeah. you sound slightly more intellectual. Um, yes. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make me sound more intellectual because I don't, I don't know if I ever say it quite right. Unprecedented. Um, but yeah, I think... Yeah, it's a very surreal time. How's it affected your sort of day-to-day life? Are you obviously you're at home, clearly, but about with work and stuff like that, has it affected you quite badly? Yeah, because all the theatres are closed, and that's that's my day-to-day job: going to the theatre in the evening or being in rehearsals during the day. And it's just sort of thrown us all into this weird downward spiral. And of course, like we don't know when it's going to end. I think that's the scary thing. I think you know we're all kind of quite appreciating a little bit of time off from the hectic schedule that is theatre. But it's the, the scary thing is not knowing when this is going to end, not knowing when we're actually going to go back and when the theatre is going to reopen. And everyone's sort of guessing that theatres and sport and that kind of thing are going to be the last thing to open because they are mass gatherings. You know, you've got like a thousand to two thousand people in one place in every theatre. So the chances of them being the first things that open after lockdown are it's quite slim. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be it'd be hard to it's gonna be very hard to self isolate in a theatre unless you just put like four or yeah. five seats in between everyone and then you've got a half empty theatre so you lose that connection that you have anyway the whole point of it yeah well I heard the guy the 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 person who runs the uh, Royal Opera House was on Newsnight last night and he was saying yeah if they self isolated the crowd they'd only be like like a hundred yeah. people in there or something <laughs> you know so it's just also, impossible. How do you how do you like self-isolate or like social distance a show? It's like, yeah. well, we used to have a, a sex scene here or we used to have yeah. a kiss here. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> nope, not anymore. Well, I, I do wonder whether people will start to create new shows that don't like have a, an aspect of, of self-isolation in them, self-distancing, like, you know, maybe a, a two-hander with only like two two cast members and they have to stand on opposite sides of the stage. Yeah, I am I am awaiting coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Self-isolation. You know musical. it's going to happen. Yeah. You know it's going to happen. Social distance, the yeah, exclamation mark. Exactly. Yeah. Two exclamation marks, one at either end. Yeah. It is, um, I think you're right about the uncertainty. I mean, being a performer is an uncertain lifestyle anyway, so then you add on the yeah. uncertainty of when work's going to come back 
you know, we've had performers on the podcast last few weeks, and I think it's it's heightened everyone's anxiety a little bit with this kind of not knowing what's happening. Um, it's a, mm. and I I cling on to the fact that post lockdown, when we can do live events again, everyone's going to be so desperate to see a live event that things will be packed out. Hopefully, but maybe I'm being mm. hopeful. I don't know. Yeah, it is all about sort of wishful thinking at the moment. Yeah. But I think also with, you know, people who are creative or people who have uh, jobs that are so temperamental and their schedules all over the place, there's always this weird sort of guilt that we feel anyway, regardless of lockdown, when we do have like days off or time in between jobs where we have to, we get to choose our own hours. You end up either working 24-7 and burning yourself out or you don't work at all and you find yourself sitting in front of the TV playing video games for hours and then you feel like so guilty about it even though that time off is valid and you know it's fine you're allowed to have downtime but because we don't have those hours set out for us and we choose those own hours it does come with a sense of guilt when you are you're like oh I'm gonna have a lunch break I'm gonna have a you know or a long lunch break oh but I should be doing this and I should be doing that and what would someone in a nine to five job be doing right now oh they'd be at their desk you know working really really hard so I should be too um, but then when you're thrown into something like this, where it's like, well, we don't know when you're going back to work. So off you go. Good luck. It's like, oh, God, it is sort of a little bit terrifying Cho- choosing your own hours and figuring out when to work and when not to work. And then if you run out of work because you work in a theatre, so what work can you actually do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. The guilt, the guilt is overwhelming, actually, at not creating enough what are you like with that what have you been doing have you have you set yourself any sort of task to do or had any sort of structure or anything like that because I totally get the guilt thing. yeah yeah me and my boyfriend are luckily self-isolating together so we've been doing a video every morning and a video every evening one on his channel one on my channel so it, and that's massively given us some structure so we wake up every morning make the coffee stick the camera on, film for like half an hour, then he'll edit his video that we've just filmed. I'll edit my video from the night before. And yeah, we've kind of got into a little bit of a routine. And there's other things like this that I'm like so (laughs) grateful for. It's like, no, I've I've got a meeting at 10.30 and I'll be in my office. Like... (laughs) Well, I mean, the same for us, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's why we've continued to do the podcast because for for selfish reasons really it means that we've still got something to do and an outlet to you know and still connecting with people which is you know obviously why we do it in the first place but yeah very much so trying to create just keep creating stuff really I think that's been I think that connection as well because you know I'm self-isolating with my wife our mother-in-law and we've got an eight-month-old baby um but you miss the connection to your mates or your work colleagues you know if you're performing whatever it's made me appreciate that a lot more I've actually (laughs) chatted to my mum and dad more during the lockdown than pre which is terrible thing to say isn't it and I'm gonna try and be better post lockdown but we do a regular Saturday family (laughs) zoom night now uh, which is lovely but I think it has made people reassess and reevaluate those connections in a way in a sort of weird perverse way yeah totally I'm, I'm definitely seeing more of friends that I haven't seen in forever because we do a weekly quiz and every, it's just it's really nice because I thought it'd die out after a while I thought it'd be like oh god not another quiz but everyone's <laughs> yeah. like really excited about it and we get new people joining every week so that's been really lovely and it's friends that I just wouldn't see normally because a lot of them are theatre friends and they're just in different shows or they're touring around the country and I just never would see them otherwise 
but we're all kind of making a point to all be at this quiz every Friday. It's do you so think that will continue post? Sorry, Josh. Do you think that will continue post lockdown? Do you think we'll all be better connected, or do you think we'll return to our ways? I hope so. I hope so, but I I feel like we're all just going to return to our ways. I feel like that's just human nature. Sadly, I think we'll all like have these ideas of holding on to things. And I think every now and again we'll probably remember and be like, oh yeah, I should probably give that person a call. But I don't think it'll be a weekly thing. Sadly, no, do you that know, might just me no, being. No, I really think you're right. No, but... no. Do you know what? It's funny because it, in my own head, I was saying to my wife, I was saying, oh, we should definitely carry on these quizzes because we're doing one every week. And I said. Maybe we could just do it. We could do it once a month. I'd already like pre-rolled <laughs> back. Besides yeah. myself, the fact that I'm, we're not going to do it every every week anymore. No one would want to do it yeah. every week when we go back to normal. We have to do it once a month, or maybe they would do it bi-monthly. Maybe like every six months. Maybe it'd just be a Christmas quiz. <laughs> <laughs> and slowly and slowly, and like in your head, away. yeah, you you start to unravel it a little bit. Anyway, yeah, it's funny that the new normal, as we're all calling it now, is. Um, it's certainly been a time of reflection for me. Um, mm. Yeah. Has it been a time of reflection for me? I thought about this this morning, actually, because I've had a bit of a personal breakthrough where, today where I won't go into it, but I had a weird relationship with uh, someone, that friends of a friend's. And I, I did something really bad in the past, basically, eight years ago. And I apologised a few days ago to this person. And... I don't know if that was through reflection. I think it was more through me feeling really guilty, which I had done for ages. And I got an email back today saying they accepted my apology. And um, it's actually the best thing that's happened to me during the lockdown. I feel amazing. Mm. I feel so glad that I did that. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't going to share that today, but it just sort of came out when Charles was talking about reflection. But maybe it has. Maybe the lockdown has made me kind of question those things a bit more and be a bit more proactive about it. I don't know, it's weird. We've never been in this situation before, so maybe it's all making us do weird things. That sounds like reflection <laughs> to mu- me. Yeah, it must yeah. be. It must be. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you're given sort of a ridiculous amount of time, you do find yourself with more time to think. And especially because we're all self-isolating as well. It's not like we can distract ourselves with going out with friends and mates and family and whatever. You are just kind of sat with your thoughts more often <laughs> than you would be, than you choose to. So, yeah, I think I found myself sort of connecting with friends that I've lost touch with, like not even friends that I've, you know, they're in my social group anyway. I just don't see them because of circumstances, like friends that I've sort of drifted away from. I've definitely found myself connecting with people like that. Yeah. It's funny how it's taken this crazy thing for us to do that. I know. It is a little bit sad, isn't it? Yeah, we should all be doing this anyway. But you know, whatever, if we, if, if we come out of this with a little bit of a sort of personal journey or something or we learn... I feel like Jerry Springer or something at the end, or I feel like I'm at the end of a sitcom wrapping up, like 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 JD at the end of Scrubs, you know. But if we've all learned something through this pandemic, then it has been worth it. But that's not far off, actually. You know, I think, you know. But it reminds me of what people say about, like, Mother's Day or Father's Day or Valentine's Day, when people are like, we should be doing this every day of the year. We should yeah, be yeah, showing yeah. our mums yeah. that we love them every day. It shouldn't just yeah. take one day. It kind of feels like that. Like, yeah, it shouldn't yeah. take a worldwide <laughs> pandemic to make us all yeah. go, do you know what, Mum, I love yeah, you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, exactly. yeah. Now, Carrie, we normally start the podcast, we have started, obviously, already, but we normally start by talking about um, growing up and school and stuff. And now, I realise that you started performing very early. So, um, and you are born in Harrow, weren't you? Yes, South Harrow, was it? South Harrow yeah. Yeah. And so, was school slightly different for you, I guess, because you yeah. were performing? Yeah, I, I mean, I never went to a drama school or a stage school. Um, 
I kind of made a, I mean, when I was very young, that that just didn't occur to anyone because who would have thought when I was like three that I'd want to be an actress. Um, I actually wanted to be an archaeologist like Indiana Jones. <laughs> um <laughs> me too <laughs> but yeah i i was uh I, my first job was when i was seven years old which is primary school i kind of i think it would have been in like year three um which was lame is and because that's a six-month contract i think it was six months three months or six months a, sh- a shorter contract than an adult would have uh and we do like two or three performances a week so there'd be three teams of children one team would do two shows, the next team would do two shows, the next team would do, do two shows and it would go on, so so on and so forth. Um, but that would mean every now and again, there'd be a Wednesday matinee day that I'd have to do, which means I'd have to be pulled out of school. So it didn't go unnoticed that, why is Carrie allowed Wednesdays off? Uh, yeah. Why is she allowed time <laughs> off school? Uh. Um, which naturally, when you're kids, that does create some kind of like weird tension, like and some weird jealousy like not even of what they're doing just the fact that they get time yeah. off school that's not yeah. fair you know what I mean um and I went to a, a primary school that's not uh <laughs> I don't know how to put it nicely it was a bit rough <laughs> it was a bit rough there was a uh, rumors that I think were confirmed after a year or so that um there was an ice cream van that used to park outside the school and you know those ice creams that had like the bubble gum bit at the bottom. What oh yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Screwballs or something like screwball, that. Screwball, screwball, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, there was an ice cream man who used to fill that bottom bit with drugs and sell it to kids. Not where I thought that uh, was going. Oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah. That's beyond rough. <laughs> yeah, so, so it was a little bit rough. A little bit rough. <laughs> wow. Um, Jeez. Yeah. And yeah, I, it was just, it was a weird dynamic at that school because I don't think my headmistress liked me very much either because I had to, you know, get permission to have all that time off. And there were just weird stipulations and weird rules that came with having that time off. Like I was never allowed to enter a school talent show and I was never allowed to have a part in a school play. Oh, I'd always have to just be in like- That's the, so harsh. The sideline. Yeah. So it's just like really weird things to put on a seven-year-old <laughs> child. Massive. Like, yeah. Um, but my high school was- unbelievable I had a great time at high school um I went to a private all-girls school um and weirdly the year that I joined they just built this big like performing arts center it, like it was serendipity at its finest um but yeah I had a great time at school I loved school high school especially I thought it was amazing yeah just you know when you've I've just felt so lucky to have teachers that didn't uh they really nurtured the fact that I was into music and performing arts. It wasn't like, well, you should be learning your seven times table or you should be learning Pythagoras' theorem or whatever. It was like, well, no, if that's what you're into and that's what you know you want to do with your life, then we're going to make a, a special effort to make sure that that's where we guide you. And they kind of, they had a real knack of doing that with loads of diff- different students. Like all of my friend group, you kind of, you see that what they were interested in when they were kids is what they have gone on to do. And I firmly believe that was to do with all of our teachers. That's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Pythagoras rule, something that I've literally never used in my life post-secondary no. school. Not not no. even once. Complete waste of time. Pythagoras, Pythagoras what? Pythagoras' rule. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, Pythagoras' theorem. That's not me like being that. supportive, no being I like Pythagoras rules, man. And that's not... <laughs> yeah, <it's> so, <laughs> so cool. into it. Um, it's nice <laughs> that you've got that support because, you know, your story of primary school, like... God, kids need so much support, you know, all the time, especially yeah. if they're really into something. It's really unfair that you didn't you didn't get that. It's... Well, particularly yeah. from from the leader of the school. I mean, yeah. you, you think, do you know what I mean? Like, you'd think that they would at least have some sort of uh, comprehension of, uh, yeah. 
I remember yeah. I am. Um, we got. We had to ask permission because I think because I, I did Lamez and Chitty as a child at that school, um, and I remember having to ask for time off. Well, my parents had to ask on my behalf for time off to do Chitty, and sh- the headmistress wrote on the uh, letter. But this is the last oh time. Oh my god! Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> You'd think the school would be really proud of that and they'd like champion it and exactly, celebrate yeah. it. And we've got, a, you know, a student performing in these massive shows. I like just. Yeah. Yeah, no. that is. Oh, how. Oh, well, I'm glad that you've had a better experience at secondary school. Oh, God, yeah. It was like. Yeah. Worlds away. Yeah, it was amazing. And so by the time you got to secondary school, I guess you were really. Obviously, you'd done a few shows. So you were really. that You'd found your thing, maybe. Yeah. I think I knew quite early on. Because um, my brother went to a stage school. He went to Sylvia Young's and he's, you know, I, I come from a very musical family. But I think <laughs> I think I'm, I, I'm right in saying that my family are quite like privately musical. Because my mum was a learning support teacher at a school. So there's no like music or singing involved there. And my dad uh, used to work at a Kodak factory in silver recovery. To this day, I still have no <laughs> idea what silver recovery means. <laughs> but that's what he used to do. I just remember him coming home in his high-vis jacket with really grubby fingers. That's all I remember. <laughs> um, so again, not a very musical job. But my dad plays guitar and he used to sing in a band that used to play in like pubs when he was younger. And my mum sings in the car and you can tell that she's got a good voice, but she'd never like act. My mum, like, we don't even have pictures of my mum. She's so averse to attention that she can't even stand in front of the camera and just have a picture taken. If she goes missing, we've got nothing to show the police. (laughs) Nothing. She's like starting drawings or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to do a sketch of what my mum looked like. Um, So, yeah, but they love musicals and they love music. And so it was a huge part of her upbringing, even though it wasn't you know outwardly what they were interested in um so yeah it was my brother went to a, a musical theater school and i think i sort of just stumbled into it that way because it was just normal because i was the second child and that's just what my brother did he was interested in performing it kind of just naturally filtered into my everyday life and it would have been weird i think if i'd suddenly been like i want to be an accountant like it would have been really strange be like, where did that come from yeah exactly yeah following the family <laughs> following the family way yeah the family trade uh so but, they, but did sorry. you ever feel sorry to, sorry like, Jim. go on then they go <laughs> classic zoom interviews um yeah yeah no. i'm not looking at they you were clearly you supportive though i guess oh massively massively i always say that my greatest privilege was having my parents they are just they just instilled in me and my brother that we could do anything that we wanted to do if we were willing to put in the hard work and we really believed that we had the talent to do it and we were willing to make sacrifices and put in the time and the effort and the energy and sometimes the money that it takes but we really could do anything if we wanted to yeah really really valuable yet quite simple advice really yeah yeah it's so simple it's so simple as long as you're willing to put in the work you can achieve anything You'd obviously done these two shows when you were younger. What? What? Going back to those a little bit. What? Can you? Can you remember much about them? Bits and pieces. Uh, not a huge amount, to be honest. I kind of remember. I've got vague memories of being backstage with Brian Blessed. Oh wow! And I remember. Yeah, 
I remember having a sty on my eye and Michael Ball was like, the way to get that out is a, a gold ring and took off his ring. And we were, stood, we were stood in the wings and he was like rubbing my eye with his ring. Like I just remember really random stuff like that. Wow, um, that's definitely a claim yeah. to fame. Yeah. <laughs> I used to charge Brian Blessed for swearing, 50p for every time he Oh, swore. you must have made a killing. I've met... I've yeah. met Brian. <laughs> I met Brian once. Um, and yeah, he's incredible, the amount of swearing that he does. Yeah, he still owes me a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he does, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just incredible to think, like, taking that all on at such a young age. I mean, and, you know, obviously moving... You've obviously moved through your career now. You're You're obviously a lot older. But to take on such big shows when you're so young, it must mm. have been such a... Um, I don't know, it's quite a burden in a way. I... I honestly don't think I thought about it. I honestly, because I was so, I was seven. I was seven when I was in Les Mis. Like I just was excited and I enjoyed it. And I, I, it just felt, it just felt normal. I know that sounds odd because it's not normal because I was on a West End stage at seven and that's like mad to anyone who hears that. But because I was so young, I think I just, you know, it was like, this is something I'd like to do. This is the same as my friends who want to go to the cinema at the weekend. I want to go and perform on a stage at the weekend. That was just like, it, and because I didn't really know anything different as I grew up, it just, I just enjoyed it. I just loved it. It didn't feel weird or it didn't feel like a pressure. And I think it was because it came from me. I think there are a lot of children who are like forced into it by <laughs> by pushy parents or, you know, stage, stage mums who wanted to make it as actresses and are now forcing their kids to do it and they're living vicariously through their kids. I think then the kids will then probably feel the pressure because they feel like there's a lot riding on them doing well. But because my parents were like, if you want to do it, you can do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. It's fine. Whatever, whatever you want to do. It was kind of my choice. So I'd never felt any kind of pressure. It was just something that I loved to do. I think do. as well, when, when, when you're young, especially at that age, you don't quite understand the responsibilities of it or the magnitude of it mm. or and then those pressures from yourself come later in life when, when we get older we then suddenly start it's like our minds expand and we suddenly think oh god I could be really bad at this I could fail at this and then all those pressures mm. and anxieties start coming in but I think when you're a kid your brain's almost not developed enough to even understand that stuff no kids are fearless and it's amazing now that I, I've had the opportunity to stay in this industry as an adult because now I'm watching kids come into like Les Mis playing Gavroche and Little Eponine which is the part that I played and I just look at them and I'm like was that what I was like because you're just fearless like you just you know we all don't want to be the person who you know when on the first day everyone's got to go around and be like hi yeah my name's Carrie Hope Pletcher and I'm playing Fontaine but like no one what everyone's like even though our job is to be on stage in front of an audience we can't even say our own name and our own role in front of a room full of our peers but the kids like stand up they're like yeah my name's blah 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 and I played this part and I'm gonna be really good like they're just so full of confidence and they are just completely fearless and they are they just throw themselves into what they're doing and we all kind of as an adult cast look at them like so enviously <laughs> so like oh I wish yeah. I still had that I, I like imagine what I could achieve if I was that fearless <laughs> Yeah. that's funny isn't it i wonder where that where we lose that some we obviously lose that along the way somewhere yeah i've no idea where it'd be so interesting if we could pinpoint it to like avoid it happening <laughs> yeah yeah it'd be nice to be that fearless it'd be nice to tap into that confidence um yeah but obviously i mean when you're performing you know you're performing on stage and we had this from other 
performers on our podcast, a lot of times it's like a fake confidence. You know, you you, you sort of yeah. build it up to, and it's like you know, if you're not feeling it, or you're not feeling well. Doctor Theatre, you know, will will help you on the night and, and stuff like that. But get up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you like in moments like that? Do you do you have moments where you, you sort of you're faking the confidence before you go on? Yeah. I kind of think you you have to otherwise I personally would never do it <laughs> I I hate being on stage as myself and I think that's when I feel it the most when I'm about to go on and do like a con- like one song in a concert that's my worst nightmare I hate it 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 like I can't stress how much I hate it um it just yeah it's just being myself on stage I like having a character to hide behind and I like being told what to say I like having my lines I like having my lyrics it's kind of uh, like a foolproof plan not to fail, really, because how wrong can it go when you've, you've been told what to say and you've been told what to sing and you've been told what to wear and where to stand? But when those things are left up to me, I'm like, no, <laughs> please don't tell me what to say. I hate this. Um, so I feel like I've I've got instant confidence when I've been, I'm told that, you know, you're going to be playing this part and here's your script and here's your score and here's your wig and here's your costume. I'm like, brilliant. I don't have to be me. There's my confidence in a starter pack. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> like that. I'm, I'm fine with that. It will take like a week to get into, to make sure I know what I'm doing and I know where I'm going in the run. But then after that, it's the best job in the world. I love it so and much. There's a weird juxtaposition though. And yet though, when you're doing the YouTube stuff, that is you being you. And I guess it's not, Oh, there's no, there's audience. no audience but there, well, there is no there audience. is but just not you know it's a virtual audience yeah and if i screw up i've got the chance to just edit that <laughs> out true. very i can just cut it very true bye yeah very true yeah <laughs> that's the difference it's quite a crucial difference actually now i think about it yeah quite a big difference would you yeah so you avoid kind of like doing live i mean would you like like you know people doing live instagrams and stuff like that it, are you do you like doing those sort of things live instagrams isn't so bad because again you don't really have any idea of how many like you've got the number at the top but how much does that actually mean like how much can you actually comprehend you know how many people that is really um so i i still get a bit nervous like i did a live stream a few weeks ago to raise money for the nhs and that I, and I was singing as well. I was like, why have I done this? Why have I done this to myself? Why have I made myself sing? Why have I put myself in this situation? <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, I came out. I, I pressed end and cried. Yeah. I finished and cried. Because oh, I was really? like, no, I didn't sing that note as well oh, as wow. I should have. And because I wasn't playing a character and I was just me, now everyone's going to think, I'm terrible. Oh my God. Like, I'm I'm the worst for beating myself up. Oh, I, I'm just, I'm the worst. I'm, I am my own worst critic. I'm, there is nothing that anyone can say to me that I haven't already said to myself. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, um, it's again, it's something that comes up on the podcast. Stuff that we, are, we are often our worst trolls, aren't we? Oh God, yeah. I am the worst. The worst. <laughs> but it's, it's like I've got like two people in my brain and one of them's going, you're terrible. You're not good enough. You can't do this. And I've got another one being like, no, I deserve my place on the stage. No, I am good. And it's like just this battle between the two of them. Nothing's coming out of my mouth. It's just these two voices in my head having a go at each other. And it just depends on the day, which one's stronger, which one's louder. Yeah. Again, is that something that's occurred as you got older? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm thinking like, is it? has there always been an element of that? during your time doing particularly in the theater when you're doing live stuff as well i it came with social media i'm telling you really? now it came with social media yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. i've got absolutely no doubt in my brain that it came from social media 
because when I was a kid and you know someone at school said something it, I don't know it just had a it just didn't stick as well and because I had my parents being like oh it's just a stupid kid at school it doesn't matter like you know that's not true it's fine but then when you all of a sudden you've got a thousand people say that to you on the same day or a thousand people say that to you over the course of however much time it starts to stick it starts to build up and it's like one voice you can go well that's not true that was one voice you can bat it off but then all of a sudden when you've got like a barrage of people saying the same things to you day in and day out so like you you don't have enough hands to fend them all off some of them get through and get into your brain and you're like oh my god is that true 10 people have now said that within the space of 20 minutes so it must be true it must be true it really gets in gets in your head yeah it's 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 really scary (laughs) um, because social media is supposed to be this thing that's this wonderful tool that connects us all Mm. and you know, makes us feel more one than ever. And actually, we're here so many times that it's actually the platform for loads of people's anxiety and depression. And mm. like you say, you know, suddenly bringing this horrible sort of world onto you. It's 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 really it's really unfair. I think is is the mm. word I get from it. It shouldn't it shouldn't be like that. And I don't understand why it's this part of the human psyche that people feel that they can do this. Like I've never I've sent tweets before about a TV show I didn't like or something, maybe taking the piss out of it. Mm. I've never sent a tweet directly to a person with anything personal. I can't imagine why I'd want to do mm. that, even if I didn't like someone or something. I don't understand the psyche of someone's brain that would that would do that. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I think I've got like a slightly warped sense of what I should and shouldn't say online just because I'm either so scared or I'm just so conscious of what I say. So like, even if I didn't like a TV show, I, I am so scared of saying anything about a TV show that I do. Or like me and my boyfriend are watching the Marvel movies at the moment, like in chronological order. It's the best thing ever. I've oh, we just did that. We just, <laughs> so did, good. we just did that. Yeah. We're having the, the best time with it. In the time order. Where are you at the moment? Uh, we watched the second Guardians of the Galaxy last night. Ah, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are great. They, they are, are so great. good. Yeah. They are so, so good. But it, there's a couple of those that I'm like, ah, I wasn't there. And every time we film a video in the morning for my boyfriend's Good Morning World series, he'll be like, so what did you think of the film last night? And I'm like, it was great. <laughs> I loved it. It was marvellous. Like, even though I'm like, it was rubbish. I hated that one. I like, yeah. I, I'm just so scared of like voicing my own opinion because I know what it sounds like on the other end. Even if it's something that you're more than welcome to like having an opinion about. Like people who write like negative Amazon book reviews. I'm like, did you really hate the book that much to then write a 12 page <laughs> essay on Amazon about how much you hated it? Like just pick up another effing book. Just read a different one. There's millions, pick a different one. It's okay. It's just, and I've, there's always, you know, there's the saying that not everyone's gonna like you and that's fine. And not everyone's gonna like you and that's fine. That's true. But I think there are so many people out there who don't understand that you aren't gonna like everything and that's fine. Like you don't then have to try and destroy that person because you didn't like them or get that TV show taken off air because you didn't like that one episode or you didn't like how Game of Thrones series eight ended because it wasn't how you imagined it to end. It's like, just move on, pick a different thing. It's fine, it's okay. You're not gonna like everything. You don't then have to destroy that thing because you didn't like it. 
I do wonder sometimes people forget that it's a person on the end of that. 100%. You know, it's, um, it's you know, they, they see it as, I don't know, you see it as you as a commodity or a, mm. or a product. And like you say, like a, it's easy to, maybe and maybe it sometimes stems from like Amazon reviews as well, you know, like, oh, well, we can just slag that thing off mm. because it's faceless and it's just something that we, we we didn't get anything out of it or we or we didn't like it or whatever it was mm. and i think that's often happens with particularly with trolling and stuff is that we we will forget people forgetting that it's it's a real person on the mm. end of that attack yeah. i find i kind of understand that when it's online because you can't see the person's face and i say i understand it to an extent <laughs> Because it's something I, I never do and I never understand people trolling and whatever. But I understand that it's easier to do stuff like that, to be a keyboard warrior, to say something horrible to someone when you can't see the effect that it has on someone, when you can't see someone burst into tears. You don't see what effect your words have had. But then the thing I find the most fascinating is people coming to stage door and saying those things to your no face. No way. Yeah. Really? That's when you're like, okay... You're a special kind of human. That's next level. Okay, I yeah. That that that's when you're sort of like, is social media giving us some kind of weird confidence that we can we are now saying these things that we would normally tweet to people's faces? I don't know. I, I it's just strange. <laughs> can you give us an example of what you might? Um, I had someone come, this isn't that bad, but I had someone come up to me and say, um, when I first heard that you were going to be playing Eponine, I thought you were going to be absolutely horrendous and you were right again. Oh my God. And they probably thought that was was a really nice thing to say or something. Yeah. I was like, uh, I don't know how to respond to that. So I'm just going to go, thanks and leave. Um, When I did the, I did the lamest stage concert last year with Alfie Bow, Matt Lucas, Michael Ball and when I got told that my name was going to be like with them on the poster, I was like, that's unreal. Cause that's Matt Lucas of Little Britain and Alfie Bow, who's like one of the greatest singers of all time. And Michael Ball, who was in the original, he's like musical theater yeah, royalty. Yeah. And then me, I was like, this is really cool. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and stage door every night was like packed. It was like hundreds of people deep. And I got to the, like I was signing programs. And as I got to the end of this line, this woman went to me, what does it feel? What does it feel like that everyone standing here isn't waiting for you? Oh my god! Why? She like touched my arm. She touched my arm. She was like, "What does it? What does it feel like that everyone here isn't waiting for you?" Fucking oh. hell! And I was like, "Um, <laughs> you are." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like strange things like that, and I've I've overheard conversations as well where I've like almost intervened, like with like cast members of mine. Like someone, one of the uh, the covers was on one night in a show that I won't I won't mention, but she was on, and it was her first night on. Um, and then the following day, the person who actually played that role came back, and this girl said to her at stage door, "Just to let you know, I prefer your cover." Oh my god! Just to let you know, I prefer the person who covers you. Just so like, why did you tell? Why did you? How tell about her that? don't let me know? I don't need to know that. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like this weird arrogance that people have. Like, I have this opinion and I think you should... I, I think that you need to hear it's it. It's like a power play. It's like a weird power play. where they're... It's a very strange arrogance. Yeah. yeah. It's, a very, it's, it's very odd. 
I think I think you are right. I mean, you you know, you raised the question earlier: Has social media given people a weird confidence? I think the coincidence, you know, of, of that happening since social media's come in, yeah, probably. I think it probably mm. is linked to it. And I was going to ask you actually, mm. off the back of that, have you done anything? Have you spent time off social media? Have you deleted certain apps? But then you're talking about it happening at stage door. It's like, well, you, you can't stop that. Yeah, that's when that's when it gets. Yeah, I had a very scary experience last year as well, where I, it was when I just broke and I was like, I need to go and talk to someone professional about this because this has gone beyond social media now. Um, I've actually not ever talked about it. So I'm going to like brief, <laughs> briefly mention it. I've not talked about it because it was so scary and I just don't want it to happen again, but I'm, I'm still going to brave it. Um, I had someone send letters to lots of my cast members my cast mates in the lamest stage concert and sent it to uh sent letters to someone who lives like not in london miles and miles and miles away from london found their address god knows how that's like where it gets really scary uh and sent them a poster this is really dark you might want to cut this out of the podcast <laughs> But sent a poster advertising me as a prostitute. Oh my god! But as if I'd written it. So it had my agent's number and my agent's email address at the bottom of it, and it was like, if you want to come and have, you know, take part in my services, then call this number. Um, but they sent them to everyone, like all my castmates, past castmates, cast members in different shows. Friends of mine who live in different parts of the country. Fuck. Yeah. And that was when I was like, this has now gone beyond social media and I don't know how to deal with this anymore. When it was like contained on social media, I'd just delete apps, I'd block people, I'd mute people. It's all cool. But then all of a sudden it was like physical mail coming to, like, you can't block that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't stop that. That's just going to arrive whether I like it or not. And that's more of an intrusion. So, Social media is an intrusion in a way. That's next level intrusion. I mean, well, it, well, it's, yeah. a, it's a criminal act. Yeah. Yeah. We had to get the police involved and had to like report it. And every time a new one came in, I just asked my company back. I, I just, I stopped receiving posts at the theater. I just asked my company manager if anything, could, if anything arrived for me, could he take it and open it? He had my full permission to open it and vet it. And if it was, and we we had, you know, we had to open everything with gloves because in case there were fingerprints on it that we could then Fucking trace. Hell. And we had to put it all in like evidence bags and give it over to the police. It was just bonkers. It was just bonkers. And that was that that was when I broke. That was when I was like, I need to speak to someone. Yeah. So then I I start I started counselling last year, and it was like counselling's like the short term version of therapy. Yeah. So I finished my sessions a few weeks ago, and it's it's helped like tremendously yeah. counseling is counseling is yeah. amazing counseling is it's yeah, unbelievable it is very yeah it is great but that that also sounds like such a tiring thing to go to mm. just don't even just it's really while boring. yeah and while you're trying to concentrate on it's doing really your boring. job well and crack on with stuff yeah you got this extra drain yeah so i think i just want to do my job and i just want to do it to the best of my abilities and because i love doing it and i enjoy doing it and that's kind of the extent of it that's it and i feel like i'm quite an uncontroversial person like i feel like because I'm so scared of expressing my, you know, negative opinions, I just don't. And that's fine. Like, I don't feel like I'm censoring myself because I'll just tell yeah. my mum. <laughs> I'll give my mum a ring and be like, I saw this film today and I thought it was rubbish. Like, it's fine. Like, I'm happy not putting those things online. But because of that, that's when I'm like, 
Why do people hate me so much? I, well, I don't think they do. I think it's a power thing. Sorry, Giles. I think it's a... Well, and jealousy yeah. and, you know, it's just those you know, it's the, the deadly sins, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's those things. It's those natural things that come out. And I think probably because you are successful, you're brilliant at your job, all those sort of things. Some people want to undermine yeah. that in some way. I just think the disappointing thing is that sometimes there is like such valid criticism. There is like genuinely valid things that come out of conversations with people online, but because it gets buried in this barrage of just, I think you're fat and ugly and I think you're the worst person to ever exist. It means that you can't, you have to just close the door on all of it. There's no way to pick and choose unless you want to see all of it, which would just be so detrimental to anyone's mental health that it's just not worth it. Yeah, and I think probably like sometimes the, the people that are are doing these things are there's there's something obviously something not right with them them yeah. mentally or or physically or social self esteem or something. There's obviously something innately in them that is uh, yeah, which mm. is sort of coming out, spilling out, and and obviously you know that doesn't help you because mm. you're you're going to be on the on the brunt of it, but. Um, I think yeah, generally it's it's as we've spoken about before, Jim. That you know, it's generally something that's innately in someone that's not quite right, which is mm. causing them to to act out in that way. Well, it's unfair. It's unfair that you you're getting dragged into their madness. You're getting dragged into the the mess of their lives, and you've not asked to. Well, yeah, I mean, with anyone, it's it's unfair, and of course, then you have horrible instances like Caroline Flack, where it just goes so far beyond what anyone can understand that you know someone ends up taking their own life and it ha- like you know Caroline Flack is the one that we hear about because she's Caroline Flack but how many times has that happened that we we don't it doesn't make the news because it is just someone's daughter it's just someone's son someone's child it's so sad yeah it's not fair what do you think what do you think i don't know i'm not saying that you have the answers but do you think there are things that social media companies can be doing more of to sort of um, prevent these sort of things happening at the moment instagram is just my favorite place on the planet because it comes with filters you can you know put in a list of words that you just don't want to come up so i've got a few ex-boyfriends in there you know, <laughs> like, or you know if someone you know you can put swear words in there or just you know just unpleasant things that you just like words that you would not like to see on a daily basis you just put them in and then any comment that contains those words it just does like it still appears to the person who wrote it but you don't see it which I think is the genius thing it doesn't stop the comment from existing it just doesn't appear to you yeah it's amazing it's amazing well I've I mean I've done a similar thing on Twitter because you can mute words on there so Mm. I've done done that as well you know um and that that uh, yeah and I think you're right so is that um, private messages as well because we saw this week Ian Wright shared a private message that he got that was absolutely abhorrent oh and that was from I mean he he doesn't know this guy that guy can still contact him and say these horrible things you can't prematurely block everyone in case they're going to yeah. send that so it's still difficult isn't it to stop that stuff coming in yeah it is really hard it is really hard I just think Instagram's got got the edge on privacy and security and like monitoring stuff like that I feel, and I also feel just the difference between Twitter and Instagram because Twitter is just text. It's just words. It's just people's opinions. And I feel like that generates more negativity and more hate than someone sharing a picture of their dog. Like, it's 
Instagram's very much like visual. Yeah. So what are the chances that someone's going to share a visual picture that's, you know, negative? It's very hard to but do also, that. Also, going back to what we were saying earlier about keyboard warriors and sort of people being abusive to faceless companies and stuff. On Instagram, when you can see people, you can see these people's faces. I think actually on a human level, that makes you have an instant more connection to them. So probably, hopefully, makes people feel less likely in, in, inclined or more comfortable to then send abuse because they can see this person, they've made a connection to them. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it makes the world of difference. And I think it makes the world of difference, but we don't realise it is. Just naturally, if we can see someone's face, we're not going to say the things that we would say if we couldn't. Yeah. feels like they might be there in front of us. So, because these, yeah. these people obviously would never... Well, I say that, I would never say these things to your face, they, but they have done up the stage door. They do, but they just do it less. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very unfair. It's really unfair to be dragged into people's messes when you've not, you, all you've asked to do mm. is just crack on with my life and my career. And mm. you haven't asked to be. Well, and also it's obviously having a sort of a lasting effect on you because like you say, you earlier, you've got these two voices now that mm. are, are ringing in your head every time you're about to do a performance. And it's very much like when I'm making decisions as well, because I've, you know, had a YouTube channel for the last almost decade um, and seeing the way that the audience responds to what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And it now just every everything I do, even if I'm not broadcasting it, there's a voice in my head that goes, now, what would the mass audience think of wow. this? If if people could see you doing this, would they approve? It's that kind of wow. thing. Wow. Yeah. So it's really changed your decision making yeah yeah i feel like i'm i'm almost like censored even when i'm at home that's really interesting and no one ever sees it so you yeah. always feel sort of judged even when it's got nothing to do with anyone else yeah and i yeah and that's that's me that's something that i need to like fix within myself because that's that is just the lasting effect that's no one like making me feel that directly that's just an indirect like weird byproduct of the last decade on the internet <laughs> yeah that's interesting actually i've never heard anyone sort of say mm. that but it, it makes total sense that you mm. can get to that stage well yeah just when you spend every day making videos and going okay well i shouldn't say that because something similar i said in the last video got a negative reaction or someone pointed out that that wasn't like the politically correct term that i should have used or you know whatever the issue is you then just start naturally start to do that in everyday life in like normal conversations it's very strange <laughs> yeah um and yeah it's funny this is something again we've talked about before jim is that um the, the fact that we will heart cotton on to like maybe one or two bad things and then you've probably had like hundreds and thousands of amazing comments mm. but it's that one thing mm. that we just fixate on yep um and that is so destructive that one that one com comment you know mm. but i've also learned that because i used to just dig myself a hole because I'd respond, you know, defending myself. And I'd, you know, well, I'm well in, well within my rights to defend myself. But then I was just doing myself a disservice because then I'd spend the next three hours defending myself. Whereas if I just deleted the comment, I would have been like, oh, that was a rubbish comment. And then just moved on with my day. I might, you know, been dwelling on it for all of half an hour. But because I decided to respond and the conversation went on for the next three hours, I then spent longer feeling rubbish. And that was my fault. That was my <laughs> yeah, fault. Yeah, I've got yeah. no one to blame but myself. So I've learned very quickly 
well, not very quickly, it's taken me ages, but I've learned now to very quickly delete the comment before I've even got any kind of notion of replying to yeah, it. Yeah, that's, yeah. Absolutely. I think self-care, particularly on the internet, is essential. Yeah, and that's and a it, huge part of it for me. Yeah. And it's hard to work that out sometimes, I think. And it's obviously taken you quite a long time to work it out. It's taken me forever. How, yeah. I, I'm almost ashamed of how long it's taken me to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but again, I think a lot of that is because there's people who will then scream, that's censorship, you can't do that, you can't, you know, deny someone the right to say what they're going to say. It's like, no, they can still say whatever they want to say, I just don't want to hear it. They are more than welcome to say it to their mum, they are more than welcome to put it on their private Twitter, they're more than welcome to make a whole video about how much they dislike me. Don't send it to me. I I might start doing that, I might start bringing up my mum and just moaning about stuff I don't like. Just keep it. Just keep it between me and mum. I think my mum loves it. I call her up and I'm like, you'll never guess what happened. She's like, oh my gosh, what? Oh, man. Um, well, it's funny, you, allude, you alluded to it a little bit with um, with the writing as well. And obviously writing is a big part of your work as well. And um, yours. Well, yes. Um, but how did you come to start doing the writing? Was that something you'd always wanted to do as well? Yeah. I. I it's just storytelling. That sounds really wanky, but it's storytelling. No, not at all. I, I just, ever since I was a kid, I was always making up stories at school and then coming home and telling them to my parents. And it was almost like a game. My parents would be like, Is, did this really happen? Is this true? Or is just another one of the stories? Um, I, just, I just love telling stories and that's come through acting and writing. You know, acting is just another form of telling a story. It's just a more physical way of doing it. Um, and I feel like it's nice to have two very different versions of storytelling because it's like, the extrovert version and the introvert version. <laughs> it's like when, you know, every night I get the chance to be more physical and be more outgoing with it. But then there's times when I'm like, I just want to take a behind the scenes approach to this and I'm just going to write my story down instead of being the one to sing it. But we are, we are all introverts and extroverts. I don't, you know, I don't think one, mm. it's kind of like a spectrum. I don't think one is... One person is... Oh, get your words out, Jim. Mm. I don't think one person is one. I think we are sort of a bit of both. And times mm. in our lives and days determine which one we are. And I think that's okay. You don't have to be an introvert or an extrovert. Yeah. You can be a, a bit of both whenever. And then if you're using mm. that as you're doing to channel your creativity, well, then you're sort of, you know, practically making the best of your personality traits. I think that's a really good mm. way of doing it. Yeah. Rather than some people... And I'm guilty of this. If I'm feeling introverted, I sort of lose that day because I just feel like, oh, I'm I'm not really, don't want to see anyone, don't want to do anything. I don't, I'm not, I don't I don't feel good enough. But actually, if you can then use that to your advantage, well, you're you're taking the power back a little. Yeah, I've definitely seen like a massive overall change in my personality over the last decade, and I think that has a massive, uh, that's got a lot to do with uh, like social media. Um, I think I used to be very like outgoing very much got my energy from the people that I was surrounded by and I loved going out with people and I loved you know I'd come back feeling like oh, that was the best day ever and I just want to do it again immediately uh and now I've I, th- I mean I think it's also just coming with having a, a job as well you do get to a point where you're like I just want to be at home in my pajamas eating ice cream in front of Netflix that's what I want to do um so I think a lot of that has to do with you know growing up and having a full-time job where you do eight shows a week and it's knackering um, but I also think a lot of it has come with uh, social media and being in, maybe not even social media, just being in the public eye more often. Like when you do book signings and stuff, I instead of being like energised afterwards, now I'm like, I just want to go lie in a dark room with all the lights <laughs> off 
for a little while because that was too many people in one go. I felt like I filled my quota of how many faces I just saw at once. Uh, yeah, I think there's a there's a daily quota, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Of, and it might not just be people. It can almost be energy spent doing extroverted things. And I think my my wife follows a lot of sort of life coaches people and one of them talks about your sort of energy your daily energy and don't don't spend that energy yeah. early doors going on twitter getting annoyed about stuff because that will filter down don't be on facebook or whatever because then by the time you come down to do something you want to do that takes energy like writing or whatever you're at the bottom of your pit already um i don't think i've done that analogy in service but i think that sort of made sense no i got no, okay. that makes cool. sense that totally okay. made sense yeah totally but, um yeah so i think when you're talking about sort of quota of people I, d- I definitely get that and again it comes back to sort of self management doesn't it and self-care mm. making sure that you're spending your time wisely i guess yeah absolutely and I, I i'm starting to learn a lot of lessons regarding that um stage door i keep bringing up stage door it is one of my favorite things to talk about mainly because i'm just so fascinated by the shift in uh stage door with the rise of social media like stage door would uh, like you 10 years ago 20 years ago stage door was like three people with autograph books now it's like a hundred people with their phones and their cameras like it's just this weird shift and that's you know to do with like fandoms and fan culture and it's also just to do with like the progression of technology and it's yeah there's a lot of things that factor into it um but yeah i've learned a lot of lessons to do with taking care of myself and understanding where my energy needs to be spent um, especially with a job like theatre, where it takes a lot of energy and a lot of you know, physical energy um, to do a show. So then if you're feeling particularly tired after a performance, you're like, do I want to spend my energy going to stage door and talking for the next hour and being switched on? Or am I going to save that energy for the show, the two shows that I've got tomorrow? Like, am I better off giving the paying yeah. ticket holders tomorrow the performance they deserve? Or do I spend it with people who have had their show? And this is just a bonus. This is just an extra. Well, especially then when you chuck in you don't the uncertainty, if you don't know what they're going to say, and then you're spending your energy defending exactly. yourself <laughs> in a situation yeah. that's supposed to be just a nice little interaction. Yeah. And the difficult thing is when you then come home to tweets being like, my daughter's now crying because you didn't come out of stage door. That That's when it gets hard because then you're like, you, I did go through a phase of just going out of stage door, whether I was shattered or not, and then made myself really ill and then had to take time off of my job. I wasn't able to do my job to the ability that I was meant to be doing my job, which meant I couldn't be there, which meant I disappointed even more people. And that made me feel even worse. And it just, you know, it's this like snowball, this spiral. Um, so yeah, I have had to just learn to do what's right for me. And if people complain about it, they're gonna complain about it. Let them complain about it. Does you can't? I can't listen to that. I just have to do what's right for me and my job and the show because that's the priority. Absolutely, I think that's so wise. And I, again, you put yourself first. If you look after number one, then the rest of it falls into place, and then you can have more energy mm. for other people. But you have to look mm-hmm. after it. You can't be the sort of person where you're constantly serving other people because then yeah. you'll have less to serve down the road anyway because you'll be ruining yourself. I listened to this amazing podcast by this amazing woman called Michelle Moore and she had an episode called There Is an I in Team <laughs> because you can't serve your team if you aren't looking after you. 
So you have to work on you and the things that make you the best version of yourself because then you can serve your team to the best of your abilities. Absolutely. And I was like, that is yeah. genius. How, was no, how have I never heard that through the entirety of my life before? It's amazing. That's like, that maybe, I think that was when I was like, that makes so much sense logically. And that, that's just gone in, that has sunk into my brain. And I think that was when I started making a few, a few different changes in my life. <laughs> Yeah, and particularly when you're in the sort of theatre family as well, you're all going to try and pull your weight, aren't you? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've all got a vital job to do, whether you're backstage, front of house, they don't get enough credit because the amount of people that they have, like they have to deal with the audience far more than we have to deal with the audience. And if there's like a celebrity that was meant to be in the show that's ill that evening or isn't, you know, not scheduled to be there, it's the front of house who have to deal with that. They have to deal with screaming people and you know, people calling them every name under the sun for something that's completely out of their control. It's not even like they were the ones who didn't turn up to work. <laughs> it's like, it's like, sorry, I'm here doing yeah. my job. And my job is having to deal with people like you. So you well, it's like down, they weren't please. the ones that like, you know, poisoned Brian Blessed. It was not, it's not their fault that he's not there. I know, I know, I know. Um, so yeah, we've all got a vital job to do. We're all just trying to do it to the best of our abilities. And, you know, as long as we all look after ourselves to the point where we can do it to the best of our abilities everything everything should work smoothly but as soon as someone's not taking care of themselves and not taking those steps to make sure that they're okay mentally and physically and emotionally that's when things start to sort of what was that lady called michelle moore m-i-s-h-a-l-m-o-o-r-e i think i think i've got i'm gonna check that out and also uh get my wife to listen to it as well because i think we would both benefit from from listening to that so thank you I think that's the first time someone's had a, a podcast episode on our pod. So genuine takeaway <laughs> from me today. That's great. <laughs> um, Carrie, obviously the, our podcast is about blank moments and blank moments has been so many different things for different people. I just, I mean, we've obviously talked about um, things that today already that could be construed as being sort of blank or difficult moments. But I wondered actually performance wise, have you had any blank moments on stage? <laughs> many Many, more than i care to admit um god yeah there are so many times when things go wrong on stage um and i think as a whole actors are quite good at making sure that those things are never seen by the audience or they don't notice um and i've i've noticed over the years that there's so much you can get away with (laughs) I really in, in regards with things going wrong or you know having blank moments on stage uh yeah you'll come off and the audience will be like that was the best show we've ever seen I'm like what about that like five minute <laughs> silence when no one said anything no <laughs> okay or that set piece you know that didn't come on that really vital piece of set that we all just pretended was there for 10 minutes no okay um yeah but no I've definitely had my fair share of like forgetting props forgetting lines and saying something else that definitely wasn't written in the script. <laughs> my uh, my wife's an actor, so sometimes when we go to the theatre, she, I think, being a performer, she can sense it, so she'll like, nudge me and be like, something should have happened there, something hasn't come down there. Yeah. But I actually really like those moments, because yeah. that reminds you that you're in a live performance, and that's the beauty of live performances, yes. that things do go wrong. And it's almost like, actually, we're getting a slightly doctored special performance tonight. Yes, it might be because something's yeah. gone wrong, but that's actually the beauty of live performance. That's the thing I love about theatre is that it's never the same two nights in a row. That's, I just love that. I think that's the magic of theatre. And I've, well, obviously not not at the moment, but I feel like that when you're sat in a 
theatre with the people around you. You're, it's like a a really special connection with the audience because you're sat there like we're all experience, experiencing this thing that no one else is going to experience in the same way. Again, it's amazing. It, I think I I think that's the closest to magic that the real world gets yeah. to. I to- I totally I agree. It's just incredible. Because we are by our nature social beings. We want to be we want to have shared experiences together, but it's very rare that actually we get to be with 100, 200, 300 people sharing this mm. one experience all together. So, I feel the same with any sort of live performing, you mute gigs. I used to I used to go to so yeah. many gigs, I don't anymore. Having a baby is probably the reason. Um and yeah. um comedy, you know, all of that. There's a real if I went back to university, I would not do the, the thesis I did, which was on Trevor McDonald randomly. And I can't remember why. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> got to, too. And, but I would go back now and study live, the interaction between audiences and live performance, because I find it fascinating. Mm. I do as well. I, and yeah, I just, I find fan culture especially just interesting. I think if I had gone to university, <laughs> that's what I would have, that's what I would have studied. That's what I would have uh, focused on. Cause I just find, I'd find it so interesting. I just find the interactions between people in the public eye and audiences and viewers. I just, I'm so fascinated by it and, and the way that it's changed in the last yeah. two decades. Do you, but do you, also, I was just, no, go, sorry, for, it, go for it. No, no, I you just, go for it. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Brilliant. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> You go. Thank you. Um, I was just going to say um, that that relationship with fans is. Do you? How different is that between the the different things you do? Obviously, you you know you've got lots of strings to your bow. You that was better than the, my question. The live theatre. Okay, cool. Um, I knew it would be. Um, <laughs> and, and, and obviously the book stuff and um, and and also yeah. YouTube are. are are your audience more forgiving in one than another or, you know? Yes. Yeah. I think, like you said, people really enjoy it when things go wrong on stage because they feel like they've been witness to something completely different that no one else has got. So I think that it's never sort of like, oh, I want my money back because she didn't sing that note the same way that it is on the cast recording. It's like, well, I'll listen to the cast recording then. Yeah, exactly. Like that's what that exists for. You got a special version of the show tonight because I sang a note wrong, you know, you know what I mean? And I think they enjoy that. The audience, especially like hardcore fans of different shows. Like if you're a hardcore fan of Les Mis and you've seen it 20 times and all of a sudden the barricade doesn't come on when it's meant to and they've had to stop the show, people are like, oh my God, it went wrong. I love it. They, they really enjoy getting that special experience. But yeah, it's completely different when it comes to something like books, obviously, because they expect the book to be perfect when they get it. And there's like no leeway. Uh, And even if they don't like the book, well, you should have done better. (laughs) It's not just it isn't the book for you. It's like, no, it's your fault because you should have written a better story or a story that I liked. There's like no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. I've just wasted weeks reading this. Yeah, and that's your fault. Um, <laughs> it's your fault for writing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but then on the flip side of that, I feel like people who are fans of my books are more dedicated because it takes a long time to read a book. It you know they invest more and they invest emotionally in characters because you're making them feel things that they wouldn't have felt had they not read your book. 
and maybe they've got thoughts in their heads that they have never been able to articulate before and all of a sudden one line in your book puts everything into perspective for them so they invest in just completely different ways um and it's almost like a gratitude thing like people are like thank you for writing that book yeah whereas no one ever comes up to me and goes thank you for auditioning for that part and getting that role like it's, you know what i mean they'll thank the yeah. writers of the show for writing heathers and name is they'll you know they'll thank the creators of the show and i'm just there facilitating that storytelling so they might you know enjoy my performance or my portrayal of a part but they'll never like thank me for being there you know what i mean because it's not i didn't make it it's not my thing that i made i was just there being part of the story that was my job just to tell it but if when you've written a book, they're like, thank you for writing that book because it's made me feel things that I didn't expect to feel or you put something into perspective for me that I never would have thought of myself. And YouTube is like hardcore, screaming fans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like that. that's a... Uh, I'm almost scared of YouTube <laughs> when it comes to stuff like, <laughs> stuff like that. Like I remember like YouTube gatherings becoming a big thing. And it used to be like, a Facebook invite and 50 people would turn up in Hyde Park and we'd all chat and have a lovely time. And then over the course of like five years, maybe like half a decade, it's gone from 50 people in Hyde Park to 15,000 people at the Excel Center. Wow. All of them screaming so loud that you can't even hear what you're saying to that crowd. Wow. It's like being, like it's being the Beatles. It, yeah. Well, I was going to yeah. say, it's like being a rock star, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because there's a there's also an age difference. I think the people who go to theatre or read adult women's fiction are obviously going to be older than kids who watch YouTube. You know, you've got to be 13 to have a YouTube account. So, uh, you know, the age range is just younger, especially if you're making content that is for younger people as well, like teenagers. Um, they just behave differently because they're younger. And that's just, yeah, that's just the nature of, being young and obsessed with something. I was definitely like that with My Chemical Romance, who's my favourite band, but <laughs> I definitely had moments with wow. that band. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, all the audiences do behave in, in different ways, but it is funny when you find someone who like spans all three of them, who's like interested in, like found you through, found me through YouTube and then bought my book and really enjoyed my book but they found out about it through YouTube and then bought tickets to see a show. And then, have, you know, it's just, it's, it's really interesting when you find people who like span all three audiences and who they are as people. And I, I guess we should as well, you know, give a, give a nod to you. Have, you've got so many hardcore followers who absolutely love what you do. And we've talked about the trolls and people that make life difficult, but it must be so nice to know. And you're saying there with the book as well, that you are sort of really helping people through stuff sometimes, or, changing their life a little bit and there are these people that really respect you for that and almost rely on you and I guess a response that there comes a responsibility with that in a way sometimes to keep oh, doing yeah. it for them but it's a nice you know it, you're making a difference for a lot of people yeah I think that's more overwhelming than any of the negative stuff and I think that's almost why I not not try and think about it but I do um I don't know I I guess I don't know, I don't, you know what, you're making me think about things that I've never thought about before. <laughs> but I do think like that responsibility or that, you know, gratitude that people have is sometimes so potent that it is way more overwhelming than just a negative comment. And so sometimes I'm like, I, I 
don't have the energy or the capacity yeah. to sit and cry, even like happy cry mm. for hours about these wonderful things and these wonderful people and the wonderful things that people are saying, people are saying, I'm like, I can't, I can't think about that right now because I've got stuff to do today and I can't cry. I can't sit and be overwhelmed by this today. Um, it's amazing though. It's like, it, and it's crazy. Like you see people with like millions and millions and squillions and billions of followers and you see them go, I don't understand how dedicated your audience is. Like I've got friends who have got millions of subscribers and then they'll look at my audience and they're like, they're so hardcore and they're so dedicated and they're almost like surprised by it. And my theory, I have a theory, my theory is that when, usually when someone's got like millions of subscribers, it's because they've had like several viral videos and people subscribe because of the virality of it. They don't subscribe because they enjoy that person as a human being. They do it because they enjoyed that one video of whatever it was. Yeah. Whereas I've been on YouTube for like, 10 years and I've got 600,000 people subscribed, which is, you know, not to be sniffed at. Oh, That's amazing. a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. It's a, you know, huge amount of people, but it's kind of like plateaued that it's been like 600,000 people for the last like three years, but they're so invested in what I do and who I am as a person that they're, they'll buy tickets to see shows and they'll buy books and they'll turn up when I've said I'm doing a concert. I'd love you to come. Like, and they'll comment and engage and watch live stream. You know, they're, they're, they're so invested as opposed to just click subscribe on a whim because they liked that one 10 second video you made. Have you, have you, and it's amazing. have you seen the show? Um, I think it's called title of show. It's a musical about writing a musical. And I've heard of it, but I've not, I've not seen we it. We saw uh, an interesting performance of it at the Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years ago. And there's a song in it called, I'd rather be nine people's favourite thing than a hundred people's ninth favourite thing. And I think, and that, I remember... That's exactly what it yeah, is. Yeah, and I remember what, hearing that song thinking, oh my God, that, I relate to that so much. And I, it's what you're saying there. You'd rather have a, a core audience exactly. of people that love you. And that's that's your people rather than millions of millions. I bet those, those people with millions, that person subscribed on that one video and then never watches anything the rest of their stuff. Mm. Whereas you've got people that are really yeah. invested. And I think that's... I'd much rather have that. I, I was called into Instagram. Hilariously. Who says that? I was called <laughs> in to have a meeting with Instagram at the beginning of the year. Was it the, yeah, the beginning of the year. And uh, it was because I did a uh, a fundraiser when they uh, released their donation sticker on stories. Um, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to give it a go and ended up raising like £4,000 for Papyrus, which is a charity that I... Yeah, like I was like, that's... A, the fact that Instagram has come up with that is genius. There's another reason why Instagram is just my fave. I promise I'm not paid by them to say this, by the way. I've realised I've talked a lot about Instagram today. <laughs> yeah, so you've had a meeting yeah. with them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had this meeting with them and they were like, we're just confused by your statistics. And I was like, right. Because they, they're, they're privy to analytics that I can't access on, on the app. Yeah. So they were like, if you've got a brand like Kellogg's, for instance, and they're, uh, you know, sharing their uh, adverts and their pictures and whatever. If they got one to two percent engagement, like one to two percent of their subscribed audience engaging with their pictures and their posts, they would be absolutely thrilled. That's like amazing. One to two percent. I was like, that's 
sounds low. <laughs> One to two percent of your audience. That's crazy. And they were like, you know, most influencers have sort of between three and four percent which is why big companies go to influencers to advertise their stuff because they've got a higher percentage of their audience engaging. You've got seven to 8% of your audience engaging with, and I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And I'm so convinced that it's because it's like, it's been a slow burn. It, it's not been like one big viral picture or one big viral video. It's been like a slow sort of reveal of who I am as a person and yeah. what I'm up to and like following me around for the day. And yeah, it's, it's amazing when it's sort of put into perspective like that, when you actually hear sort of the weird and like the numbers side of things. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, that's it's incredible. a bit weird. <laughs> and, and lovely that so many people yeah, are investing really cool. in you as a person. I think It's a bit scary. Like I said, it's very overwhelming and I sort of try not mm. to think about it too much because I will just sort of, run away screaming from everything. <laughs> um, but yeah it is amazing and I do feel so grateful that it's kind of turned out that way because it so easily could have just gone another way I could have had a, it's only because I'm crap at YouTube like I've I've never had a viral video like everyone's had a viral video I've never had a viral video <laughs> it's only because I'm terrible at making videos or terrible of like appealing to a mass market <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've just been making like really niche things for the last 10 years and it's just managed to build up this amazing audience of really dedicated and like-minded people yeah niche is the way forward yeah, niche is the way forward yeah. i agree but yeah it is all just like-minded people it's people who like a very strange mixture of the things that i like it's like disney doctor who musical theater <laughs> <laughs> reading books <laughs> it's a very like unique circle of things unique group of things that people like and it kind of just matches with my my interests as well but yeah and but and well yeah likewise but also you're you know you're a very likable and nice person so i think that oh, obviously stop comes it. Right. oh you stop no. it no <laughs> oh it's very sweet you no but it's so true no but it's true though that you know that obviously comes across in what you do so i think you know that that's that's got a lot to do with it i think Oh, thank you. I feel like I'm the most annoying person on the planet. <laughs> thank you. Um, Carrie, we, we normally end the podcast by getting our guests to give their advice on blank moments. Um, it's ending. I'm having such a nice time, though. That's disappointing. I'm having... Sorry. I've, All right. I've, I always feel guilty about taking up our guests too much of their time. Um, so. Oh, yeah, because in lockdown, my schedule's really, really full. I've got, yeah, I've got so much to do at the moment. <laughs> We can make this a really long yeah. answer. Don't <laughs> Just string the okay. answer out. Um, no, you've been you've been so so open and honest with us, and it's, it's been really really fascinating talking to you. But we know that our listeners really they like and they engage when our our guests give their advice on black moments, and obviously that's interpretive. It could be literal blank moments or you know difficult periods in life. But do you have any advice that you would give to our listeners? My advice to myself more than anyone has always just been perseverance like keeping going and that's I feel like that kind of applies to anything I, I always say it when people ask me about like the acting industry and you know if they feel like they're not getting anywhere or um you know people people who just want to get into the industry I always say it's perseverance because this industry is just rife with rejection you're going to get knocked back time and time again you know you're going to get a hundred no's before you get a yes and then when you finally do get your yes you're going to get a hundred more no's after that that's just the nature of this horrible industry <laughs> Um, but as soon as you decide to give up, you are making it a hundred percent certain that you're never going to get that. Yes. Exactly. 
and you've only got yourself to blame for that like you've got to keep if, if it's what you really want like that obviously there's a million reasons why people might give up or might just say you know this isn't for me anymore but if it's something that you really truly want and you genuinely think that you've got somewhere to go with it and you think that it's something that you could achieve one day you've got to persevere and you've got to push through those hard moments and those rejections otherwise you're never going to see that yes and I think that's you know true with life as well I feel like if you're having dark times you can't throw in the towel because what are the chances that it, it's going to be dark forever like that what what are like what are the odds of it you know being dark for the rest of your life you know that's just so uh, the probability of that is very, very low. Um, but if you give up and, you know, throw the towel in, you're never going to get to those good days and those brighter days. So I always say that perseverance is just the thing that you've got to hold on to. Hope, really. Yeah. You've just got to have hope. I totally agree. And hope is a wonderful thing, I think. I agree. And I feel like in times like this as well, you know, what are the chances that we are going to spend the rest of our lives self-isolating? quite low i hope <laughs> unless this really is the end oh, of the world god. But... no i think you're right i hope i hope you're right <laughs> oh god yeah so i am just sort of holding on to hope that we are going to get to a point where we look back and go that was a bit weird exactly that was a very strange time but, in in life wasn't we, it? we are going to get to a point where this was just a distant memory yeah yeah we got through it yeah we got through it exactly perseverance and hope yes what a great way to end Love the podcast. It. Thank you so, so much. Thank it's been you. such a treat it's to talk wonderful. to you. It's been wonderful. I'm gutted it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. Thank you. Honestly, genuinely, it's been so lovely to talk to you and real privilege to sit and... I know it's... We've, we we always like to do this in person, but this is obviously the se- second best thing we can do. And so it's, you know, really yeah, appreciate thank your you so time. much. Well, when lockdown's over, we'll just pretend that this one didn't happen and we'll have to do like a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This oh. is the warm-up. Yeah. And in person. Yeah, one. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Carrie. It's been so nice to meet you. Oh, thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. you. Well, there you go. What what a, what a, what a talented person. What a really nice person. And just some really good, great advice and some good stories there. We we really went into the whole sort of social media aspect of things and she was really open about mm. it. And um, it's made me almost sort of rethink a lot about interactions on social media, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciated Carrie being so open and candid about um, some of the really difficult moments that she's yeah. had to go through, you know, even to the point where she's had to seek out counselling because it's been so rough on her. And, um, you know, and we alluded to it on the podcast about the fact that, you know, there's a human being exactly. on the end of these accounts yeah, exactly. and, uh, you know, a bit, of, bit more kindness yeah. and, um, uh, taking the time to just think a little bit more before you talk, sort of ripping yeah, into Yeah, Cause there's a, there's a different level. Yeah. Obviously, you know, she was telling us stories about, um, you know, the stage door and obviously that's a different mm. level of, person that goes to that length to say that but yeah. i think we are all probably guilty of sending messages on tweets and stuff sometimes not directly but i mean sending a tweet out that actually doesn't need to be sent and it's something negative that doesn't mm. need to be out there as as carrie said if you don't like it you don't need to tell us about it i think we've all done it at times so it has mm. it's definitely made me rethink about what i'm putting out there i made a decision recently a few months ago to try and i've not been very good at sticking to it just 
using Twitter for jokes, just putting jokes out there, see if they work, mm. if they don't, whatever. And you do fall off the wagon a bit sometimes and end up getting into discussions and stuff. But it's politics normally that sort I've of tried, yeah. tends to sort of yeah. And I think that's what I've found is that it, I end up um, getting into sort of pol- political kind mm. of uh pylons i guess yeah um and trying to avoid those as well you know because yeah that's that's sort of a murky, murky it is area. and i talking to carrie today has definitely made me rethink that and i think we can all it's almost like a added little filter we can all add a little filter in before we tweet something does this mm. need to be out there does this need to be sent does this person need to know i feel this and i'd imagine 50 percent of the time probably no so um yeah so yeah and i think do you know what we have a responsibility as well i think as creatives to know that yeah yeah absolutely and, and i think uh I, I try and avoid that as well to to be down on things if i don't like something i just yeah. won't mention it and it's it, that is you know we, we like to have an opinion on yeah. stuff and the stuff that we like and we don't but i do tend to find that i will send out more like a positive thing about something that yeah, i've really yeah. enjoyed and something i haven't then this i don't because whatever you think about something even if you really hated it someone still spent time creating that thing and like poured their heart into yeah. it and you know it wasn't for you so what they might you might be one out of 10 people that hated it and everyone else liked it so it's not exactly anyway so thank you carrie for joining mm. us because that's been um yes it, what a treat and hopefully this is maybe part one of another yeah of a two-part absolutely when all this yeah. ends, <laughs> which it will, you know, we end, she ended the it podcast, will. you know, some really good advice that, you know, the, this too shall pass is what going through, was going through my head when she said that. So yeah. um, I think that's very applicable for lots of life situations. So thank you, Carrie, for being mm. a great guest. And thank you, Giles, for just being thank you. you. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you. Yeah. Nice to say thank you, isn't it? It's very nice. It's a nice word. Well, it's not two words, in <laughs> fact. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Um, that's it. Thank you, listeners. That's it for another. For yeah, that's a that, that yeah there. That is the end of this episode, which I think is episode seventy oh. of the Blank Podcast. Crazy! What a number! What a number! Mm. Thirty to go to the big one hundred. Wow. We need to do something special for that, don't we? Yeah, we'll I think, think about. We, we just we let fifty come and go, so we'll do something special for yeah. one hundred. We'll get Tom Hanks yeah. or something to do well, that. Could one. we do? We could, maybe we could do a live pod, do a live podcast, maybe a live podcast for number one hundred. That. that is a. Could we did that one idea. at Latitude, which was such fun. Yeah. All right. Anyway, thinking, this is Jim. more an admin meeting. Give us your. I... Well, yeah, it is. A, a, give us. Send us your ideas for, for what you one, think. No one's listening. Episode one hundred. They've all turned off. Well, they are. <laughs> one person will. Yeah. Um. Give us, yeah, please, that person that's listening still, give us your ideas yeah. on what hundred the 100th episode Let's start should planning. be. Anyway, yeah. stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again very soon.
Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.